So guys, our hearts, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but as Meredith said, our hearts for every single person that walks through our doors is in every single person that we meet on the street or in Walmart or anywhere we're at, is that we would, that, that our heart for them and for you is that you would know and love Jesus. Not that you would know a church service or you would know a church body, but that you would know Jesus himself and you would love him and you'd fall in love with him. Our heart is that you would be connected to a growing relationship with Jesus because we believe that that is the only only way that this world was going to see the fullness of who God is. Is his, is his body growing in, 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 in likeness of who he is? And as, as that happens, I believe the world is going to see Jesus through us. It says in 1 John, it says, the world's never seen God, but if we love each other and we're unified together, the world will see God through us. And that's what I want for this church so bad. I, can, I can't even tell you, man. But one thing I know is without a doubt, based on the word, is that every single Christian, every single member of the church is a missionary. Sent by God, every single one of us. And as long as there's, you know, there's 42% of the world that's never heard the name of Jesus, and there's no access to a Bible or there's no Christian in their vicinity, then we have work to do, and it can't be done on the sideline, right? We, we, we can't sit on the sidelines anymore of our faith, you know? And it doesn't mean when I say, hey, you're sent by God as a missionary, it doesn't mean you're sent to Asia. It means you might be sent across your street, to say, hey, man, this, this is Jesus. Show him who, show him who God is. And it's, you know, if this is the case, you know, 42% of the world, you know, it, it, that should cause us to cringe a little bit. Man, this is, this is serious. Like, if we know Jesus, if we know the Savior of the world, the knowledge of Christ is inside of us, that knowledge was not meant to be stored away and hoarded in, in church buildings for safekeeping. It was meant to be given away. The gospel was meant to be given away. And there's been a statement before in churches I've heard multiple times that the gospel is not meant to be um, received and kept. It's meant to be received and given. And so if you're a Christian and you've received the gospel, it means you're receiving the gospel, you're giving the gospel your entire life. That's what it is, receiving the gospel, giving the gospel. Because what I want to tell you is as soon as you walk out these doors, and it may be in your home, there's lost people. There's broken people. There's hurting people. There's marginalized people. There's people that are going through things that we can't even imagine. Some of these kids that we're talking about sponsoring for these backpacks, I've had the opportunity to go to some of their homes. It's not okay. They need our help. It's not something that we're just going to just bless some people with. They literally need help. And there's people outside these doors that are in the same boat. And we always, in this place, take the Great Commission seriously because as I read Matthew 28, Jesus is saying, go. It's all nations and baptize, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. And I don't think, I read that, and, I'm, not, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the church has made that an option instead of a commission. You know, I'm trying to figure out where we kind of miscued it a little bit. I can't get my mind around it because we have to take Jesus' final words to the church seriously. Oh, we have to say, this is, okay, this is, the, this is my directions. This, this is what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Christ. And we believe that every person that, is, that, that, that we need to fulfill the Great Commission are already in this room right here. They're, they're, they're here. They're already here. We don't have to wait on us to get the 300 people or 400 people or 1,000 or 2,000 or five campuses or 17 missionaries. It's already here. We, right now, we have enough people, and we have all we need to fulfill the Great Commission. The problem is we don't have a people problem. We have a leader problem. We need to be raising up leaders to, to, to be sent out into the world, across the street, across the globe, to, hear, to so that they can be the, the ones who are trailblazers to send the Great Commission, the, the gospel across the world. So my question this morning is like, are you in a place where you can hear God calling you? 
Are you in a place where you, your mind is set? I might be the next pastor, our next missionary that we send out to go do this. Is it me? Have you, have you at least asked that question? You know what I mean? God, are you leading me to do this? Are you leading me here? Does God want you to take what you're doing in your career? I'm assuming most of us have careers or a job or something in here. We at least have some source of income of, of some sort. You know, it, does God want you to take what you're doing in your career or in your life to do it strategically somewhere for the kingdom? The answer is yes. So you're, the goal of your life is for you to glorify God with everything that you do, with your job. I'm going to take my job, and I'm going to glorify God with it, and then I'm going to do something strategic with it for the kingdom. Every single person has that opportunity. And so what I want to tell you this morning is this, is have we silenced the voice of God in our life with pride, thinking that I know what's best for my life. I know how to, to do this, and I, I'm going to save this much money and this much money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have make sure this people are set up, and I'm going to forget about God's calling for my life. My question is, are we comfortable? Because as a Christian, I'm going to be honest with you, I read and read and read and read, the only type of comfort that I'm supposed to have is spiritual, right? That's what I read. And so as I'm reading that, my spiritual comfort is going to trump that physical comfort all the time. And the only thing that we need for this to happen, guys, is for us to be awakened to God's presence, to see with his eyes and stop being satisfied with the things that can never satisfy us. I don't care if you become a bajillionaire, you'll never be satisfied with money. You'll never be satisfied with 35 kids. You'll never be satisfied with a husband or a wife or a car or the next church or any, none of that will satisfy you. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to understand this morning as we're here and understanding that Jesus has put his spirit, his spirit inside of us because we believe God has given us a big vision and it's not just to hang on a wall somewhere, but it's to carry out to completion. And that's what we're called to do. And that's why we want to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. Because I want to tell you right now, across that hall and across that hall, as we were praying, I heard my daughter crying, in the, not crying, she was screaming because she's a screamer. Listen, that's the next generation of disciples. That's the next generation of missionaries. That's the next generation of, of, of career builders who are going to take Jesus' name into the workplace. How are we raising them up? What standard are we setting for them in here in our connect groups that are going to be sending them out? Does that make sense? And if you're here this morning, you're like, you know, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The other half of that equation is that you're an active member of the body of Christ. I'm a Christian. Well, the second part of that is I'm also an active member of the body of Christ because those two things can never be separated. And you can say, well, I'll go to this church. The body of Christ is you are living in community with people and you're active. You're in small group together. I mean, you can call it whatever you want to, connect group, small group, life group, community group, whatever. You're doing life with someone. You're serving the community. You're going out and seeing people reach for the gospel. And that's what you were called to be as a follower of Christ, to use your gifts to build up a church and to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to as, as believers. And this is exactly what we're talking about in this new series we started. It's called Equip. Um, this is our third week. Um, and the heart behind this series is for our body to awaken to God's will for the church. 
not just this church, but the big C church. You look and you look, uh, you know, the, all the gospels, you can see where Jesus was, was telling the disciples, they were teaching them all, all through those three years that he was with them. And then finally in Acts, he sends them out and says, go do this. You're my witnesses to all the nations. And so he sets, he builds his church. He teaches them how to, how to, how to operate it and he sends them out. And so the heart behind this is that we would awaken to what that looks like and where you fit in at. Because what I want to tell you is what I've noticed is that the model that I was raised in as a, as a, as a small child up until a few years ago, I've just realized that the model is broken. It's a broken system. Anybody, I mean, would y'all, it's a broken system. We go to church and we do this and we do this. And uh, you, if, you, if you memorize this amount, if you go serving Sunday school, if you do this and I feel better, if you, and, but don't sin now. Because you'd be kicked out of church. You know, listen, it's important to understand the Bible and why and what we're called to do through this filter right here. And as, as we're reading this, the model for the church that I'm reading, we're going to read about this morning in Ephesians 4 again, is not a pastor who gets on the stage once a week and preaches a sermon, but rather it's the whole entire body moving and functioning in their giftings. Together, you have a gift. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has supernaturally put a gift inside of you. He's put it inside of you to be used for the kingdom purposes, not for your glory, for his glory, to, be, to see his name made famous. And in doing that, it's going to fulfill you. Because you're most satisfied when he's most glorified is what John Piper says. And that's what we need to understand in that is, to, is that he puts something inside of us to be used for his glory. You, you were called to use your life in the context of the church to see God's glory and his, his name exalted throughout the earth. And the main, the main text for this, this, uh, this sermon series is Ephesians 4, 11, uh, 11 through 16, but we went back and read 1 through 6 as well. Um, so if you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4, we're going to be there in just a second. And what this shows us is it shows us the heart of God in the church. And what it's for is it's showing us that it, God's heart for the church is for it to be growing into a mature body. I told you last or a couple weeks ago, the, uh, this, the church is the only time that our senses seem to not work when it comes to maturity, right? If, 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 I was, if, if I was to raise Braxton and Chloe until they were 15 years old and I was feeding them a bottle still, I'd be turned into the, the child services or they'd be pulled away from me, right? Because I'm, 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 I'm not a good parent. If, I'm still, if I still got them in diapers, if, I, if they're still on the training wheels, if, I, if they don't know how to have a conversation where if I'm not raising them up into maturity, that's weird, Right? Is that right? Or, I mean, I hope y'all's kids are past that. I hope I didn't step on any toes. But, you know, I'm praying. Okay, good. At least we got the physical part now. So, so what I'm saying is in the church is the same way. We're being called to mature, to move forward. And I don't care if you're 8 years old or 80 years old or 100 years old, whatever. The moment you come to Christ, you're a baby. You're a spiritual baby meant to grow up. You've been called to grow up, and you can't do that apart from the body. And so we said last week, it's no surprise that the enemy comes against us consistently to attack us in the areas of maturity and unity. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide your household. He wants to cause you to be immature. So what does he do? He makes you so busy, you can't think about having a Bible study. You can't think about going to connect group because I'm so busy. I got this to do. I got this to do. I got to do that. I got to do that. Got to make sure the kids get here. Got to make sure my wife's happy. Got to make sure my husband's happy. Got to make sure I go fishing this week. All this stuff we got to do. We forget that this is where we are edified, where we're sanctified, where God's truth gets into our bodies and our minds and our spirits, and we become mature in the faith. And so he attacks us, attacks us, 
of taxes. There's no intimacy with God because I can't spend more than five minutes with him. And so it's important that we see the attack and come against it. But so many Christians have just said, hey, you know, this, this is the way life is. It's just tough. You know, I got to do what I got to do. Gotta, you know, I gotta, so we don't understand that we're in a battle. And then if, you go, if you go over to Syria or Iraq or somewhere that we're, we're in war or we're fighting right now, and you go walk out in the street and you're like, oh, got to do this today. You'll get shot and killed because you're in a battle. You have to realize you're in a, you have an enemy that wants you dead. It says the devil say, God said the devil is here to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your life. He wants to kill your influence. He wants to destroy everything about you. So this morning, we have to understand that. Because last week, what we said, we said there was three things that was uh, very, uh, kind of to solidify our minds and our thinking about spiritual maturity, I gave you three points. Um, the first one was uh, spiritual maturity is caused by spiritual adultery. Like spiritual maturity is, is me going outside of the, of the limits of my marriage with God. We, we brought up a, a couple from our church, and I put one here and I put one here, and we said, you know, if she went, ran around on him, would that be okay? He was like, heck no. I'm like, why? Because they're in covenant marriage. And that's, but that's the way we treat God sometimes. We say, God, I'm yours. Hallelujah. I surrender. I surrender all. Everything and nothing less. I give you everything. And nothing. We say those things so romantically. We even say them with tears and emotions, maybe even on our knees. But when it comes to leaving this house and going into our life, we say, God, I'm not giving that much. I'm not going to this. I'm not serving here. I got to do this. I, I'm not going to disciple my wife because it's just, it's just it's awkward. You know? We don't surrender everything like we say we do. And we get confused because what that does is James 3 comes out and it's like, you know, we're deceiving ourselves because we read the word and don't do what it says. And so we end up deceived. And we're like, what do, I don't even know who I am anymore. So Satan's got you. He's got you in a roller coaster of, of just your imagination. He got your mind going all kinds of different ways. But Jesus is sitting there like, when are you going to get off this hamster wheel? I'm right here. Like, just jump off. Come on, let's go. And he puts you right back in the game. The second thing we said is uh, spiritual maturity is determined by obedience, not time. It's not, it don't matter how long you've been saved. You're not, you don't become spiritually mature until you start obeying Jesus, until you start obeying him. Um, the third thing, spiritual maturity happens when we become less self-focused and become more God-focused. Stop looking at God as someone that serves us, and we can start serving him. Um, what, we, what last week revealed to me was that we as a church body can have all these amazing visions and dreams and goals and aspirations, and we can jump behind. We're going to the nations. We're going to go across the street. We're going to save everybody. And we can have all these things, and they can be all God-honoring and God-centered and all those things, but it's not until we see the body becoming mature in the faith that we'll move into action and see God move like he's never moved before in this body. And I said, we talked about, you know, 1 Peter 2, about, the, about this being a spiritual house where we're being built like a house, brick by brick by brick. Everybody coming together, using their giftings to see the kingdom built up and sent out. And we're built around the cornerstone, which is Jesus. And so we, we can see it's not about one individual being paid to do all the work, whether it's a worship pastor or a kids coordinator or a pastor or a guest services coordinator or a missions pastor or a discipleship, any kind of pastor that you put in the path of your obedience to God is wrong. And you need to understand, because those people are here, we're meant to equip the body to see, him going, to see the body moving into action, pushing them out into the, into the, into the community, into the world. It's not about one individual. It's about the body being equipped and built up to carry out the work of the church to see it God glorified. And it's so cool that because Jesus 
because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Spirit of God now dwells inside of his people. And I don't know if we ever think about this, but you, you read in Scripture, and as we come together as a whole body, all of us full of the Holy Spirit, we would start coming a full picture of God. Right? You see that? So as, we, as we're full of the Holy Spirit, I'm, 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 I walk in, I'm walking in obedience. Jesus, I, I want you to, to lead my life. I surrender to you. I become a Christian. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm walking. I'm a new creation in Christ is what 2 Corinthians says. I'm walking in freedom. I'm walking in obedience. I'm walking in victory. My brother next to me is. We come together. Guess what? Together we're stronger. By myself, I'm out here, I'm out here about, to get, about to get whipped. So let me tell you, as we come together, mature and unified, these living stones on top of each other begin to be placed on top of one another, and the picture of Christ becomes clearer and clearer to the world. And can you imagine a church that's mature, unified, moving in the same direction, how powerful of an impact that could create just in this town? It's amazing, but we settle for less, don't we? We settle for less so often. It's unfathomable what God can do. Let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then 11 through 16. And let's really pay attention to what he's saying here. Paul says, As a a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely, underline completely twice. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. These next three words are huge. Box them off, circle them, highlight them, whatever you got, lipstick it, whatever you need to do. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people. For works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We're going to stop right there. This has to be the template for the church. As you read this, this has to be what the body of Christ looks like. The church no longer is a place that you come to on a Sunday and check the box. The church is no longer, and we're starting to see this, and you start preaching this type of message, you're going to start seeing people exit because you're about to say, this is what's required of you. Okay, later. You know, This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we were called to equip the church to maturity and to unity, to see the body come together. A church that's immature or divided, can never have the kingdom impact that God meant whenever he sent Jesus to set the church up. Do you you see that? It can never have the kind of impact. And who knows that? Satan knows that. We should know that. We should fight against that. We should fight for maturity. We should fight for kingdom. In In the first week of this series, I shared a story with you guys from Matthew 16 where Jesus was asking the disciples, hey guys, who does people say I am? Jesus knew who people say it was. The disciples said, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, um, some other prophet that I can't name right now. What, they, he named all kinds of stuff. Peter comes up here. Peter, you know, Peter is a loud mouth. He comes in and just wants to be smarter than everybody. He's, like, he's got something to prove, right? Kind of like me. So he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Am I right? Yeah, you're right, Peter. He says, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. That's what he says. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And how would you like to hear that from Jesus? That's what I'm talking about. But today, I don't see a church that's unstoppable. I don't see a church that's unstoppable. I see a church that's insecure. I see a church that's weak. And the reason I see that is because the church today on a large scale, not all, but the church today on a large scale is full of people who are insecure and weak. And it's because we aren't doing the things that God has told us to do. We've lost, we've lost track of the compass somewhere, and we're, we're off in Neverland somewhere when it comes to our faith. And I see what I do see in the church, and I saw the Presbyterian church this past week vote on uh, you know, allowing homosexual bishops to come into the, the pulpit in their church. And I'm like, listen, it's one thing to be politically correct. It's another thing to look God in the face and say, I'm going to do it my way. Okay, and what I see is the church, the church is beginning to bow down to the culture around it in the name of political correctness. Right? And I'm telling you right now, and in the end, what's going to do is it's going to destroy the intended purpose the church was meant to carry by being set apart from the world instead of trying to be infiltrated in the world to be relevant. If we can't be relevant with this alone, you, you have no hope of relevance. The church today suffers from a perpetual state of infancy on a large scale and a division that I can't even explain to you because we have thousands of denominations. We have thousands of, this is, my, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. Which one's right? What, do you get baptized you know, as a baby? Do you get baptized when you get saved? Am I, you know, uh, can I do this? Can I say this? Can I drink? Can I not drink? Can I do this? I, what's right and what's wrong anymore? The church is confused. The church has gone its own way. The church has made up its own religion. That's why we're not unified. That's why we're not mature. The church that is stuck in this infancy is not the church that Jesus had said that it would, would hold Hades back. The church that's unstoppable is the church that's growing in maturity and is relentlessly committed to unity. Relentlessly committed to unity. Not the one who's led by a pastor and that is looked to, the pastor's looked to, to do all the ministry work and spends his career changing diapers and handing out spiritual bottles all the time and tells people it's okay to stay where you are because Jesus loves you and there's grace. That's not the job of a pastor. It, it, you know, the, and pastors today are too afraid to preach the truth because they might lose their job if they do. This is not the church that was meant to be powerful and to hold Hades back. The only way to get back to the model that Jesus intended is to go back to Scripture, that we would all be committed to this word right here. We would read it for yourself because guess what? I'm not perfect. I might get something wrong one day, and my hope and dream is you come up here and say, Michael, that might not be right, you know, and we can talk about it, you know, and we can have that conversation, and we can sharpen one another. That's the body. That's how the body works. And so the only way to get back to that is to be committed to this. And one of the most impactful scriptures I can tell you right now is in John 17. If you want to turn there real quick, um, Jesus is praying for the church just before he's crucified. It brings me to tears every time that, that, the heart, that I read this as I see the heart of God coming out of Jesus' Jesus's mouth. And as he's, as he's praying, I'm like, man, this is, this is the heart of God for people. This is the heart of God for the church, man. And so I'm reading this, and let's read 17 to 23. And this is Jesus, like, almost right before he was crucified. Definitely right before he was, right before he was denied and arrested. Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. 
This is Jesus praying to God. God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God sanctifies us through his word. We see it there. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Please, dear God, listen to this. That first word, as, is so important. Just as God had sent Jesus into the world, which we can all agree Jesus did mighty things in the world, right? We can all see Jesus did a lot of cool things. Just as God sent Jesus, Jesus was sending us. Let that, just let that sink in for a second. That's a big deal. All right. Golly, that's awesome. For them I sanctify myself, that they, may, they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about Connection Church. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church today. He's praying for us. Jesus is praying for you in this prayer. Isn't that awesome? You're in the Bible. It's cool. Awesome. All right. So I pray for those who will believe in them and through their message, that all of them may be one, unified. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Okay, I thought it was cool. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as they, even as you've loved me. Guys, listen, we got to get excited about Scripture. Did you hear what that just said? Y'all can talk back if you want to. Hallelujah, amen, you can clap, you can stand up and whatever you want to do. That's exciting. That pumps me up. Look, listen to what it said. If this doesn't excite us, then listen, you need to check your pulse of your spirit to see if you're spiritually alive or spiritually dead, if you're saved, if you're not. Because if you read this and it says that Jesus, we have the glory of God inside of us through the Holy Spirit to do the things of God, listen, that should blow your mind. It should make you live completely different. That means we go to lunch we're like, man, I got the glory of God inside of me, bro. This is awesome. Let's, let's have some cheese dip. Let's hang out and talk about God. This is great. I'm pumped up about this. And it should, be, it should make us excited because God is so good and he's living inside of us. And we get to do the things he's called us to do because Jesus prayed in John 17, let's put it all together, that the body of Christ, you and me, if you're saved in here, you're the body of Christ. If you're not, you're, 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 you attend our church but you're not technically part of the church, but you're here and you're here. I love it that you're here. But the people who are saved where the body of Christ would be united with God in the same way that he himself is united with the Father. Think over that statement for a second, please, as you read Scripture. Don't just read past this. This is a big deal. It's huge. The implications of this is that when people see us, when people see us, you and me, walking through the street, they've seen the Father. They've seen Jesus. They've seen his glory and son living out if we're living in Christ. If we're not, if we're living defeated, if we're living in sin, if we're living all these lies that Satan tries to get you to live, Satan from the beginning of time has tried to distort the image of God. And that's what he tries to do in us. If I can get him defeated, if I can kill him or steal him or I can steal his joy or destroy his life, he won't have that image of God on him. It won't be inside of them. It won't be active and moving. And if they don't believe us on account of our words by saying, hey, Jesus loves you, then what should happen is they should believe us on the account of our works, how we're loving people. Because we're doing greater things than Jesus did is what Scripture says. And that is the kind of unity that will cause the world to know that the kingdom of God has come near to them and either they should rejoice or they should repent. 
And they, there's a decision to make, and it's not one that's, that's mean or ugly or rude or, or offensive. It's one that is of love and of grace and of mercy and of kindness because it's got Jesus all up in it. The unified church, listen, guys, is a mirror to reflect the image of God's glory and God's majesty to the world. When they see us, they should see the God of all creation glorified and majestic just from looking at a unified and in love church with one another, with the kingdom of God at the forefront of their motivation. That should be the heart. These verses literally say as we function properly, as we're healthy, as we become mature and unified, people will see God. I mean, I could just walk. That's exciting, man. That's, if we do this right, God's going to be in our presence. Let me say it a little different. As the body comes together and works together with Jesus as the head, we obey him, we follow him, we submit to him. We are reflecting the love of God to the lost and to the dying world that thinks there's no hope, that thinks this is a bunch of crap, that thinks there's no God because the body of Christ can't come together. That why do I need him? You act just like me. Why don't we need God? I mean, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, it's so important that we see this. And we, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I have one little point about unity is the cause of ch- church's disunity is the lack of concern for the body of Christ. The, the, the cause of the church's disunity is the lack of concern for the body of Christ. My favorite movie, I shared this too. My, my favorite movie is Gladiator. Amen? Okay, all right. So, if you've seen it, you remember, I've said this a couple weeks ago, that he says in that movie, he says, stay together as one. We, we, can feed, we can defeat this army if we stay together as one. He says it again when he's in the, auto, in the arena about to fight. Uh, and so he says, stay together as one. And it's no secret that the greatest military strategy in all of the world is to divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. And that's what the enemy's been trying to do with the church from day one. Divide, conquer, divide, conquer, divide, conquer. Go look at Peter and Paul's dispute or Paul and John Mark's dispute. He's been trying to cause disruption and confusion in the church, to cause disunity in the church, to cause uh, like immaturity in the church. And it's no secret that what he's trying to do. And the only path to maturity is for, you, for us, for us, you, you and I, not to try to be united to one another. I don't need to be trying to be united to, to you. I don't, let's be united. Let's, let's, let's go, let's, let's talk about Jesus. You know, that's not the goal. And I know you're like, what? That sounds like the goal. That's not the goal. Listen, the goal is for each of us to focus on Christ. And as all of us are focusing on Christ and we're growing towards Christ, I'm naturally, hey man, I know you, let's go. We're, we're, we're unified to the same goal, to Jesus, to him, to see him glorified. And we're being unified around that. Um, A.W. Tozer, he said it this way. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned together? They're of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they can possibly be were they to become united or unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive to be closer together. Do you hear that? If we're focusing on, I gotta get unified in this room here and we forget about Christ, it's pointless. We need to focus on Jesus. What this means is that unity is never gonna happen while we're trying to will it into existence. We're going to be unified. We're going to be unified. As a pastor, it's hard not to do that. We're going to be unified. We're going to, you're going to be unified. We're going to do this. It don't happen that way. 
We got to look to Christ and we got to be unified around him. Our culture has pumped this reality into us and says, you know what? Go out and get your own. Go out and make a million dollars. Go out and be all you can be. Uh, you know, it's all about you, the American dream. If you want it, go out and work hard enough. You can do anything you want. Our culture has taught us that it's about you. It's about you. It's about you. It's about you. It's about me. And how can you be united whenever you have a bunch of individuals? Right? You have a bunch of people, right, this is about me. It's about, I ain't, whatever, I ain't serving that. I won't do that. I'm not giving that. That's not, I'm, listen, as we've created a culture in the church, the same exact way as I see the, the American dream happening, what happens is we compete for stage time. I want to be up front. I want to be a leader. I want to do this. Or we envy other people's giftings. I want to, I want to teach the way he teaches. I want, to, I want to serve the way she serves. Man, she's so good with kids. Or I, I, I want to do what they do. Even whenever I was created to do something entirely different than you guys. Are you guys the me? And that's what's the beauty is the bricks don't look the same. We're, we're, we're meant to be a diverse, unified body of Christ using our giftings to see Jesus come alive. Um, Galatians 5, we're not going to read this, but it's the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness all down the line. And what I want to show you is this. There's a verse before that. It says basically in, in, in Michael's terms is stop backbiting. Stop going after one another. Stop being rude to one another. Stop trying to go after one another for what this person's doing and what this person, stop envying one another. And then he goes on and says the fruits of the spirit are this. And what Paul is trying to teach them is this. As it becomes active in a Christian's life, it'll automatically become active in that church's life, which will allow God to have a very tangible almost something you can touch, expression of who he is to the world. Does that make sense? As we're becoming more like Christ and we're becoming unified, God's giving us, giving the world a tangible expression of who he is as we live together with his character being expressed through the body, the church. Does that make sense? But what happens when we make it about us, it's about me, it's about you, we have all these individuals, we give the world this distorted view of who Jesus is and we start portraying him to look more like us instead of us reflecting him and his image to the world, they start seeing Jesus as selfish. They start seeing Jesus as a glory grabber. Why do I got to serve him? He's just, he just wants all the glory. He's just, uh, what? Look, they, they start seeing him through the image of us instead of vice versa. And we have to see the fruits of the Spirit coming alive in us because the only way to be effective in the body is to live and surrender to Jesus, period. There's no other way. If Jesus is not king in your life, he's nothing to your life. If he's not Lord, he's not Savior. And he has to be both, I'm telling you right now. Because when your body, your physical body is suffering from paralysis, the brain tells the hands to move, but your hands can't move. Because there's a disconnect between the head and the hands. Does that make sense? You see that image? This is a great analogy for the church, for the Christian who's been disconnected from the body, or the church that's disconnected from Jesus. You start having all these personal ideas and thoughts and dreams, you start putting in play as truth. Listen, to function as intended, the, bottle, the body must be healthy. The body must be healthy to function the way it was intended. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, I'll have it on the screen. Verse 26, verse 21 to 26. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see that? One body, one Lord, one Savior, one mission, and there's no place for rogue Christianity in the church. There's no place for me to do my own thing, go my own way. We are meant to be a unified body. We can see that in the, in the 1 Corinthians 11 verse I showed you about how, you know, if we don't discern the body of Christ, then we're drinking and eating Judgment upon ourselves as we take the Lord's Supper. If I'm not concerned about your, your relationship with God, then I'm eating and drinking judgment on myself by taking the Lord's Supper. Look to your left. Look to your right. Right now, look. The people on your left. Look, people on your right. I see a couple people doing it. Do you care about that person's spiritual life? Do you care about their heart? Do you care about their relationship with God enough to go after them and pursue them and love them? Not, not in a joking way, but seriously. Do you care about their eternity? Do you care about them growing up in the faith? Because you can look all the way to Joshua 7 where, where Israel is it destroys Jericho. I mean, destroys them. Not even one casualty. It's this huge city. Destroyed. I mean, the Israelites are like, wow, that was awesome. That was easy. Let's do it again. And so, but Achan, a guy, he, he disobeys God. One guy, he steals something. And all of Israel gets punished because of one man's sin. And the Israelites go a couple of days later to, to Ai, to, 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 and guess what? They get defeated, and 36 people die. Because of one man's sin, the whole entire nation was punished. And it's so important that we understand that Israel is an example to the church. We're one body. We function together. We grow together. And when we don't, guess what? We suffer together. But what usually happens is people start walking away from the faith, from the church, and you start seeing the influence die, and you start seeing Satan be like, got it. I don't want to see that. I want to see this church grow from the bottom to the top to be mighty men and women of God. Because where there's, in, where there's immaturity in the body, we was going to suffer. Where there's disunity in the body, we're going to be dysfunctional and confused. And I don't believe that God wants our church life to be centered on entertainment or enablement. You know what I mean? I don't think he wants you to come here and be, I, I want to hear that guy sing again. I want to hear that guy preach again. I want to hear, I want to take my kids over here and have an hour to myself. I want to, you know what I mean? I don't think that's why the church exists. It's not about enabling you in your sin. I pray that this church would lead you out of your sin gently and not judgmentally. I pray that we would walk alongside of you and take you to a place where you need to be instead of where you're at. God wants our churches to be focused on active discipleship. I mean, I could go through the room and say, hey, have you ever been discipled? Are you discipling anybody right now? There are probably some red faces because you're like, I'm not where I should be, right? We've all been in that place. But it's time to come out of that because his, his mission has to be front and center in our heart. Pursuit of unity has to be in the forefront of our heart to see Jesus who he is and, and center around him and come together and rally around him. Acts 2 living. We're going to talk about this in a few months in a series called Framework of what our church believes and it's centered on Acts 2. Acts 2 living is what we're going, to, going after in this church to see a church that lives in awe and is devoted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to his word, to fellowship, to generosity in the body, to be united, to be mature. Uh, you should look to your person to your left. 
You should look to the person to your right, and you should say, my heart is to see you glorified in the way that God is, is working in your life, and you're becoming mature. You're becoming mature. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. I'm going to do everything I can to help you become mature in who God's called you to be. And we're going to be unified because we're looking to Jesus. And when a person becomes a Christian, they don't just join a local church because it's a good thing to do. They join a local church because the local church is supposed to be the expression of what Christ has made them, right? A member of the body of Christ. And a lot of people are like, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, that's, that's not an accurate statement because we're called to be in the body of Christ moving together. The last thing today is in Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to give you three really quick um, keys to unlock unity in our body. Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 5 says this. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's basically saying if anybody's Christians, you're a Christian in here. All right. I'm trying to get, you know. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Please be like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in body. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but to each other, excuse me, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Think about that for a second. The same mindset as Christ. So the first thing we see in verse 3, a key to unity, is to view others as more important than you. The words he used there is to value others. Some versions say count others. Some versions say consider others. But however you slice that, this doesn't mean that we think of ourselves as poor and destitute and we think of somebody else as better than us at softball or baseball. They're better than me there. No, our idea in this, it means that we honor that person to think that they they matter more than me. I should care about your sanctification and your life of Christ more, almost more than I care about my own. I want to see you, I want to see you grow. Because in that, I'm going to grow. In that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see Jesus glorified in my life. To think about them before we think about ourselves. And some of you are like, wait a minute now, this is getting a little too deep in here. I ain't doing all that. Listen, they, I know people around me. Because when we do this, our pride is kept in check. Our pride's kept in check and our egos become deflated. And we, when we wrangle our pride, it's, it's important because this is the central cause of sin and disunity is pride. And when we wrangle that, it takes away a lot of things. Because you think about it, one person wants to push their agenda. One person wants this. I think we should have this kind of ministry. I think we should have this on Sundays. We have these things in, that are beneficial to me, which is selfish ambition, or that brings them glory, which is conceit. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Number two, to look out for the interests of others. Number four, to look out for the interests of others. In, in preparing for this message, I interviewed two guys who are involved in special forces in our military, and I asked them, I said, how do special forces units in our military carry out their mission so effectively and successfully, on, I mean, basically from my view? And this is what they said. I've interviewed two different types. He says, the last person a ranger thinks about is himself. We value our brother next to us more than ourselves. We never have to cover our backs because we know our brother's will. If I don't operate this way, I have only one person covering my back, and that's me. Everything I do is for the sake of my brother next to me. We believe this is to the core of our being. We are trained not to think about ourselves as individuals, but that as a unit. We never go into a mission 
with the mentality some of us may not come back or 40% of us will not make it back. No, our mentality is 100% of us go in and 100% of us come back. That's the heart. And what I've learned in these talks is that they knew if, our, if, if one member of their platoon was weak and compromised or had abandoned their post, all the team members would suffer. Do you see that? All the team members were going to suffer as a group because that one person was lazy or incompetent or fell asleep at the wheel. And what is ingrained in these guys is what needs to be embedded in us as a church. Look to your left. Look to your right. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's who I'm fighting for. That's who I'm not. That's what I'm going after is to see him reach maturity and unity. And it takes us looking out for each other, watching each other's back, and working together to succeed in this mission that God has put on us as a body. And what you do affects the person beside you. I don't care if you think it's done in secret. It affects the person beside you. The last thing, verse 5 key to unity is to be in Christ, to be in Christ. Remember in John 17, verse 22 to 23, Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as they have loved me. And so my question is, are you in Christ today? Are you in Christ? Do you know Jesus? Have you been playing games with Christ? Have you been playing games in your relationship with Jesus? Have you been on the fringes just joking around? Because I want to tell you that sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I just, I want to beg y'all to just show some expressions sometimes because you'd be amazed at the looks on your face whenever I read something incredible. It's like, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, hey, what's, what are we doing here? Look, look, look. And so I really want you to wake up because a church alive is what's going to, what the world is going to see as effective. And so this morning, do you know Jesus? I'm not saying knowing about him. You know he was 2,000 years ago, on a cross, died, rose again. I'm not saying knowing about Jesus. I'm saying, do you know him in your heart? Have you experienced sanctification in your heart? Have you seen new life happen in your heart, growth? And if you don't, let me tell you, there's a way that I can change today. And I'm going to be standing right here. And if you want that to change today, I would love to pray with you. There'll be people on the sides that want to pray with you. And we, we want to tell you today that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. And you have a purpose if you're still breathing. So let me pray for us. And I want to just um, encourage you guys to respond. Because one thing that the gospel requires is response. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We praise you, God, because you've made us in a way, God, that should bring glory to you. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would just be burdened to the point of response. God, that we would see you for who you are and we would just bow at the foot of the cross, Father, in humble humbleness. So, God, move in this place. God, bring someone far from you, close to you this morning, God, and just bring glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.